This episode is brought to you by ereceptionist.co.uk. They'll answer your phone calls so you don't miss anything important. You can get a real UK landline number. You can get calls diverted to your existing mobile or landline. It uses real phone lines so there's no dodgy VOIP. You don't need a contract. You don't need any new hardware. And you can use it with existing telephone numbers. To get 60 days free right now, rather than the standard 30 days, just go to ereceptionist.co.uk forward slash arseblog. Now let's do the show. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Centro de Ozil. Qué gol de Kirangui. Tras un extraordinario, espectacular centro de Mesut Ozil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. Good morning. Good morning. Is that your catchphrase? Good morning. Good morning. I don't know that that's necessarily a catchphrase because it's something pretty much everyone says. Like if I was I mean, to say, mm. goodly morning to you, something like that, that could be a catchphrase. But I, I can see that on T-shirts, on mugs. Goodly morning to you. Yeah, <laughs> I think from now on, <laughs> that is your catchphrase. It's a pretty wicked one, in fairness. Mm. How are you? Is this a goodly morning with you? Yeah, it's it's all going it's all going fine. I had a relatively nice weekend, nothing too hectic, nothing out of the ordinary. Watched some football, had some food, drank some wine, laughed at Chelsea. You? I mean, similar, lovely weekend. I mean, it was quite hectic actually. Friday night was very extended, more extended than I necessarily expected. Ah. Um, ah yes. One of those, uh, eh? One of those, eh? Hmm. That's right. I went out to a bar um, like a grown-up and then Saturday went to the game feeling somewhat worse for wear. Mm -hmm. But, you know, got the result, the result that I needed in order to sort of keep me me afloat, keep me on check, you know, in check. I don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, I'm still suffering slightly. Petter check, even. Petter check. What a man. What a hat. Even the hat's grown on me. Yeah, I've got no issue whatsoever with the hat now, as long as he keeps playing like that. Yeah, he can wear as many hats or as many different hats as he likes. Well, yeah, I would I would like to see some variety. Bit of a Fez one week, a bowler, Stetson. a Stetson, 10-gallon yeah. hat, you know. I think that there's scope there for a range of Petrachek hats. But, you know, I think he can just stick with the one that he, he, uh, he wears. He was good. He was very good. He was very good. Yeah, it's hard, like a 3-1 win, and yet you kind of feel that without the goalkeeper, we would we would never have got the result. Yeah, at one point I was thinking, wow, if we get something from this game and uh, Petr Cech is basically the man of the match, it, it says quite a lot about A, him, and B, the way we played. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he was quite... I mean, he was a very important guy, but maybe not necessarily the man of the match. You know, there were some good individual performances overall, but uh, of course Chelsea lost, and we should take a moment to laugh at them for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they really did lose in a really... And do you know what? I think I enjoyed this one more than many of their other defeats because it wasn't necessarily deserved or warranted. It was a real smash and grab. I oh, no, they, did, they deserved it. Oh, well, I mean, obviously they deserve it karmically. Mm. But, uh, On the know, basis of the, the football. <laughs> yeah, the pattern of play, no. But I think that makes it more fun in a way. It yeah. just makes their sorrow all the greater. I quite like that Bournemouth manager. He's got a really nice face, doesn't he? He just seems like a nice man. He does. He's like an anti-Mourinho of sorts. Yeah. 
imagine you had an anti Mourinho. Yeah. I've got to go around to Auntie Mourinho's for Christmas. She's knitted me this fucking terrible jumper. Auntie Mourinho would knit you one of those jumpers that you used to get when you were a kid that was really itchy. You know, that really yeah, itchy Yeah, really wool. scratchy. Yeah, scratchy yeah, yeah. Scratchy, and it would, like, get the back of your neck, and then it would. she would actually knit, like, a label onto the back of it, which added extra scratchiness to it, because label. Auntie Mourinho would be a right bitch. Yeah, a label made of nettles. <laughs> uh, but no, it was fun. It was fun to see them uh, lose again. I mean, actually, the results in the Premier League were pretty, pretty great, weren't they, for us? They were very, very good indeed. Yeah, Manchester United with a draw. Uh, they, they like those. They do. Yeah, it's what they're uh, about these days. They are. They are. I mean, you know, I think it's like something like. Three goalless draws, is it, in the last six games? Or I don't know. I mean, who cares what the real stat is? Let's just say they're boring. Yeah. Um, and not say they're good at defending, because that's a bit ominous, so we just ignore <laughs> it for now. Uh, and then Liverpool, obviously, the anointed new champions, Liverpool, came a cropper, didn't they, at Newcastle? Well, you know, Newcastle have been in sparkling form. Who could have who could have predicted Liverpool getting anything from that game? I mean, it was the, you know, unstoppable force and the immovable object, so something had to give. <laughs> I didn't see any of it, but I was um, I was listening to it on the radio a bit, and I'd come into the house, and then I had to go back out of the house, and just as I was driving off, I heard uh, the second goal. I wasn't aware that there was a first goal, and I was sitting there going, oh, 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 oh a goal, and then the guy said, and Newcastle have doubled their lead, and I was like, ah, that's yeah. nice. You were like, I can chill out here. This yeah. is less, less significant than I thought. No, it was really... I don't know if you've seen that second goal since, but it's a really nice one. It's a real counter-attack breakaway. Mm. Musa Sissoko, the long legs of Musa Sissoko extending into a sprint. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yeah, there was, it was great to see that. And then who else was there? Oh, Tottenham. City. And Tottenham. S- yeah, all dropping Tottenham got points. West Brom. I mean, not as... Uh, not as West Brom as we did. No, not as West Brom as we did, but let's let, overlook that. But mm. then Manchester City... Game of Copper at Stoke. You know what? I watched that game. I did not. So I, I was I, well. In. It was one of those. I was sitting there playing Fallout Four um, okay. on the TV, but I had my laptop beside me streaming. Maybe that's what Pellegrini was doing. Streaming the game illegally. I like Hang to on. live on the oh, edge, man. Oh, oh, we're gonna have to go back and delete that and take out the bit about me going to a bar as well. We, you know, we need to play this straight. Yeah, we've got reputations to uphold here. Yeah, uh, yeah, citizens of the world we are. But uh, yeah, that's what I was doing. But I was watching it, and Stoke were good. You know, they were good, and they played some good football. Shakiri, Boyan, Afalai. I won't give any credit whatsoever to Arnautovic, because um, obviously he's a nasty man for what he did to Debushi last season. Mm. But this is very far removed from the Stoke that we're all um, used to, in the sense that there, there wasn't very much strangling of the opposition and maiming of them and clattering them and stuff. So, yeah, Mark, even Mark Hughes changed his ways. Mm. I think, yeah, the, the, the Stoke team's a bit like if you set up, I don't know, a FIFA or a Football Manager game and then sort of allowed it to run on for like five to ten years and it got to the point <laughs> where it was a bit unrealistic and all the players are at the wrong club. It just seems odd, doesn't it, this squad they've assembled? Yeah, well, you know, it, it makes for an interesting Premier League. Manuel Pellegrini talking about, you know, how his squad isn't deep enough. <laughs> Phony had some money to spend. The poor guy, I felt very sorry for him. Yeah, it is. It's tough. It's mm. tough. And I guess, you know, all those injuries as well, you know. Um, <laughs> that's a unique situation they've got there. And Leicester winning again. Poof. I mean, it's it's theirs to lose. 
You know what, though? I mean, it, it is still faintly ludicrous and ridiculous, but, you know, who knows? I mean, their players have magic powers. First, Jamie Vardy scores in like 100 consecutive games, and then on the day he doesn't score, Riyad Mahrez scores a hat-trick. And What's going on with I these d- guys? I don't know. I don't know. There was a great, um, there was a great uh, tweet earlier. I must see if I can find it. Um, I think it was the, the Marseille coach, either the coach or the chairman, um, talking mm. about, uh, oh yeah, the Mar- Marseille president rejected Mares last winter. He said, you think Leicester City players have a place here? I'm not a sucker. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I mean, it just shows you though, you know, that, I don't know, what does it show you? I've don't. I've got no idea. I what don't know, but I mean, all this discussion about doping going on in football, no one said anything about Leicester. Mm. Come on. They've got to be prime suspect, number one. <laughs> they've got an alchemist. Rather than hiring strength and conditioning coaches or, or anything like that, they've hired a wizard yeah. to, to give their players fleet-footedness and, and goal-scoring ability. It's pretty amazing. Well, it's got to be something like that. It's mm. surely almost nothing to do with Claudio Ranieri, but Ah, come on. Maybe, maybe the man deserves some credit. How about that? I can't see that happening. I just can't see it. I mean, look, it's extraordinary what they're doing. But the the thing about it is they are conceding goals, and that's what everyone says. That's where it's all going to come falling down, is that mm. they're going to stop scoring. But they don't look like they're going to stop scoring. So No, and they've, they've got, got a, They've got Chelsea next, by the way. They've got a, a very interesting run of games. I think they've got like Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, and, and uh, someone else in fairly short order. So that might be a bit of an equaliser for them. But, you know, if they can come through those fixtures well, whew, who knows? Yeah, they've got Chelsea, Man City, Liverpool and Everton all before mm. New Year's Day. All right, well, that, that will be a big test for them. Uh, mm-hmm. But let's get back to us then. And a 3-1 win over Sunderland. Rode our luck a little, but very nice to get back to winning ways. Very nice indeed. I mean, yeah, I don't want to put a down on it immediately, but it didn't feel like a game we played particularly well in. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's absolutely spot on. Yeah, um, it was quite worrying at times. Actually, you know, when as soon as a fourth minute, you you allow space for Fabio Barini, you mm. know, hardly the most um, incisive forward in the Premier League uh, these days, to to get clear behind your defence, straight through on the keeper. You know, you've got to you've got to be a little bit worried about some elements of our performance. All right. Well, this is it because. Um, as was pointed out by enraged Arsenal fans on Twitter throughout the game, Sunderland are quite rubbish. Yeah. And we made them look significantly less rubbish than they have done for most of the season. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if that was a kindness on our behalf or just, you know, a number. I think probably it has to come down to the selection or the team selection or the team. Can you call it a selection when you don't really have any other choice? No, um, it's a team imposition, isn't it? Yeah. So our Arsene Wenger forced into a new central midfield partnership, Flamini and Ramsey. You've got two guys on the wings who haven't played a great deal of football uh, this season, Joel Campbell and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. And I think that there's a there's an element of of having to rely on the wide players a bit to give you some defensive cover and maybe also from your um, your your defensive midfielder to be a bit more defensive than Flamini was. Yeah, I mean, there's a there was a definite whiff of the Capital One Cup about the, those two wingers being mm. the side, you know. Um, even though Joel Campbell obviously got the goal that, that put us in front, it was massively against the run of play. I, I thought that what was interesting was when Sunderland broke at us with Toivonen and Watmore and Barini, it felt like several times in the game they had loads of space on the counter mm. and I, I just wonder is that something to do with 
Cochrane's absence? You know, is he very astute at covering those areas, particularly wide areas, and supporting the fullback when necessary? Because if they had been better going forward and more efficient, they ought to have had probably a couple more goals. Yeah, I, I think there's something to that for sure because if you can throw your mind back to what happened on Saturday and throw your mind back to any of the performances which um, Coquelin has bid at his best, you know, you can see him making tackles in wide areas. You can see Coquelin supporting his fullbacks uh, to, to deny uh, opposition space to come forward, whereas I don't think we got that from the midfielders uh, on Saturday, you know, and that's where they tended to find space was down the wide areas. Um, mm. So yeah, there's definitely some Something to work on there for the manager um, because until January anyway, there's not much we can do other than hope that these two guys can form a sort of a partnership uh, and, and find themselves on the same sort of wavelength, if you know what I mean. Um, it, it felt to me, I mean, I thought the two of them were quite busy and industrious um, on the ball. Both of them made over 100 passes in midfield, which is a lot. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when Sunderland had the ball or when we lost the ball, it felt a little bit like that those old days. You know, when we were caught with too many men ahead of the ball, therefore providing the opposition with a, with a lot of space to exploit. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, it was interesting to see Ramsey come in for Cazorla and sort of, you know, I, th- I think even in the, this game, in the space of 90 minutes, we saw some of the differences that exist between those two players. You know, there were times where, although his passing statistically was pretty good, I think it was something like 90% completion, the crowd were a bit frustrated with him for giving the ball away. But do, do you think, I mean, my, my feeling on this is that when he gives the ball away, sometimes, sometimes it's because he's a little bit careless. I think mm. just sometimes, but most of the time it's because he's trying to make something happen. He's trying to look for a pass, trying to create something, try and get between the lines. Mm. So there's a, there's, a, there's a risk element to the way that he plays because he wants to that. make things happen. I think Cazorla is a more natural continuity player. Mm-hmm. I think he's someone who enables you to you know, keep possession, dictate tempo a little bit better than Ramsey does. I think Ramsey's instincts are to try and force the play a little more, to try and make things happen. Mm. Now, that can have its downsides when you play a pass that's a little bit more ambitious and it gets intercepted or cut out or doesn't find its target. But I do think it leads to, you know, more tangible attacking contributions in the final third. I mean, in this game alone, Ramsey playing for central midfield gets a goal and an assist and Cazorla's not got a goal from that position all season long. So I think, you know, over the coming weeks and months, he might adapt more, he might become a little bit more conservative. But I do think that's fundamentally the difference between the two players. And I think for us to succeed, that's something that's got to be embraced. And what we've got to do is try and get Flamini or get a new player come January who can complement that and, and help you know, yeah. make that more secure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I thought it was a good return. I thought, you know, for his first game back in the centre of midfield as well, for months and months and months, um, you know, I thought, I thought his, his performance in general was, was positive. It was more positive than anything else. And as you say, it's a goal and an assist. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, that's a pretty good return. Joel Campbell then with a goal, like you said, slightly against the run of play, but it was sharp movement and a great pass from Mesut Ozil. Yeah, it was. And obviously, it was really interesting to see this game, look at that team lineup. I always think of, when I think of our first 11, I think there are three really great players in there. And those are Cazorla, Alexis and Ozil. And to mm. me, they always stand out, especially on the attacking side. And obviously, without two of those against Sunderland, they felt like there was a big onus on Ozil. And he, d- he delivered, I suppose, didn't he? I mean, he, was, he had some great moments in the game, that little touch on the, on the left-hand side in the oh, second yeah. half. Yeah. If, if you haven't seen that, you must seek out a... There'll be a gift somewhere out there, won't there? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a beautiful turn. But he had some brilliant moments. But the pass 
absolutely inch perfect and able Campbell to take it first time. And it was interesting to see, I think, the two performances of Campbell and Oxlade-Chamberlain in this game. You know, does Campbell benefit from the fact that he's just got that little bit more football under his belt? Because of the two, I would argue he probably looked the sharper, you know, the, mm. the more the more appropriate to be in the team at present. Yeah, I mean, Oxlade-Chamberlain really struggled, didn't he? Didn't get into the game at all. To an extent, I think you have to look at it from the point of view that he's just back from injury. Mm. And this is, you know, this was his first start in, I don't know how long. Um, So there's an element of forgiveness, I guess, from that point of view. But it's still a bit worrying that this season is one that he really is struggling to make a mark on. um, Because we know he's a better player than we've seen um, this season. We know, certainly, he's a much better player than than what we saw against Sunderland. But maybe it is one of those things that, with with a run of games... Again, I don't think that we have too much choice, to be perfectly honest. With a run of games, he might just sort of play himself into a little bit of form. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. This, you know, What worries me when you say that about this season is that I feel like we said that about last season as well. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he seems perennially in a comeback. Um, I suppose it's... it's it, I mean, I don't want to say it almost, but it's approaching that sort of Wilshire level of he's always getting over some sort of injury. But uh, I, I would never have said back in the summer that I thought Campbell could be in a position where you know, he might have a better claim for a first-team place than Oxlade-Chamberlain. I mm. would have been incredibly surprised to see that happen. And yet, here we are. Um, because one thing that Campbell does give you, it seems, is goals. You know, I mean, he's already got a couple to his name and he's, he could have more. His movement, actually, in the final third is pretty decent. Uh, and I think that's a really important thing in those wide areas, being able to come in at the far post, make that run inside a fullback. And I guess as someone who's played as a striker, he, he naturally has that in his arsenal. Mm. So, look, this uh, habit we have of conceding goals after going ahead before mm. half time raised its, its ugly head again. Um, at what point does that start to become like a psychological issue? Because they've got to be aware of it, you know. Uh, it's happened too often for it not to be somewhere in the back of their minds. And then we can see the free kick. Free kick comes in. Clumsy own goal from Giroud, I would have said. Um, yeah, it goes with the wrong foot, really, doesn't yeah, it? That's the yeah, issue. just bash it away with your, with your, uh, with your right foot. Mm. Um, but anywhere yeah. except there, really. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the that's the danger you 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 risk, though. You know by not using the foot that's that's correct for making a clearance you know that is the, that's the uh, that's the way he finishes some of his goals at the near post um Indeed, yeah. <laughs> so yeah it was it was a little bit clumsy but also um it felt a bit oh god here we go again having done the same against Norwich having done the same against West Brom it did it did it was it was horribly predictable um, and that's the worst thing about the Arsenal team, actually, is when when they've got a bad habit, it takes them a while to shake it. You know, they can they can fall into some nasty patterns, mm. and this appears to be one. And and at that point, you know, when the whistle went for half time, there was a real sense of deflation because we'd been a little bit fortunate to get in front, and then to let that slip. Ah, uh, I mean, you know, after the after Manchester City dropping points earlier in the day, there was a sense of right, we've got to capitalise now. Mm. You know, we've we've really not done that in the last few weeks, and. It was sort of a real head and hands moment of thinking, oh God, we're going to let it slip again. Mm. But I did think that we were, I don't know, at least we responded, you know, in the second half. At least sure. we, we produced something. And the goal that we scored to go ahead was a, a fantastic goal. I thought that was a really, really good goal because Giroud struggled in the first half. You know, mm. it's not easy playing against three central defenders. Uh, I don't think the 
the crossing was particularly good. Um, but I thought he might have been stronger with the ball. You know, too many times he tried to lay it off first time or little flicks and what have you, when maybe he just should have held it up and, and found an Arsenal player and, and given us that little bit of momentum that we were struggling to find. Uh, then he scores an own goal. You're thinking, oh God, this is, you know, this is going to, this is going to be bad. But uh, the, the finish, the run actually and the finish was, was really brilliant. Yeah, I thought all through that goal there was good play. I think if you take it right back, Nacho Monreal does really well. Yeah, yeah. He picks up the ball very deep and it would have been very easy for him to just lay it off, play a simple pass inside, but instead he, he drives towards the penalty box, creates a bit of space, creates a bit of chaos. And then Ramsey's pass, very good. And Giroud, you know, I mean, his movement inside the penalty box can be really superb. And that was a good example of it. And a good header too. He might have had another goal as well. He had a header cleared off the line, didn't he, from, mm. from a set piece. Yeah, true, true. So he, he bounced back pretty well after halftime. Yeah, so um, we're 2-1 up. And then, of course, there were moments where we had Petr Cech to thank. I think it was 1-1, actually, when he made that save on the line from Fletcher. You're right, um, yeah. It was a Fletcher shot that he saved down for a corner and then um, kept the scores level. Uh, just before we got the third goal, there was an, a very, very good chance for uh, for Sunderland to to equalise Van Aanholt. Was that uh, the one he hit over? Yeah, he hit over. Bellerin had no idea where he was. Um, it was very similar to the to the move, the movement of Joel Campbell in the first half. Mm. But he just wow, it didn't go over very far. No, and actually Norwich had a couple of chances not too dissimilar to that, didn't they? In similar areas. Mm. So. Definitely something to watch there. Mm. And then a goal to seal the deal from from Aaron Ramsey. Callum Chambers shot deflected into his path. I mean, again, this comes back to what you think of uh, of Ramsey as uh, that kind of midfield player. It's the 93rd minute or 92nd minute or whatever it was. And where is he? He's in the six-yard box waiting for, uh, waiting for the ball to break to him. That sums up the way he plays. Well, he's got great stamina, great engine and a great desire to score goals. That's the thing. I mm. mean... You never get that sense with Cazorla necessarily that it's something that motivates him. But whereas with Ramsey, there's that real hunger to score, and you know that's what that's what pays off. When that you know you never you never like to make comparisons to players that you hate, but he's got that sort of Frank Lampard esque ability to be in the right place at the right time. Mm. Let's say Rob. Let's say Robert Pires esque. Eh? Yes, a bit nicer. Yes, a lot nicer. Mm. Um, so yeah. So look, well that that made everything a bit. Um, Cam for the final couple of minutes because it felt like we were we were on edge. Um, Arsene Wenger saying afterwards that it's good preparation for the game against Olympiacos on Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it is in, the, in terms of the result, but it wasn't a performance that made me think that uh, we're ready to go and you know win by a two goal margin in Greece. What well, was it? Was it just more important to win than perform? You know, in, the, in so. the sense yeah. that they could look now at the at the way we were carved open a few times and say, look, midfield, you can't allow this to happen. This is what you've got to do to prevent that. Because it's difficult to see Olympiakos doing anything differently to the way Sunderland approached it. You know, they don't need to, they don't need to score goals. They need to stop us scoring goals. So they're going to sit off. They're going to... They're going to invite us on, I think, to a certain extent and try and hit us on the break the way that, that Sunderland did and, and look to better finishing. Yeah, I think, I think. I mean, the result was all important. I think another set of drop points would only have damaged confidence and, and made made Wednesday night feel an impossible task. Um, but I do think it's, a, it's still a big, big ask. 
just given the, the way that we played and the lack of fluency, I think it's it's not even. I wouldn't even place the blame at the fault. Um, place the blame at any individual. It's just a lack of coherence. It feels like an unfamiliar team. Yeah, you know the spine of the side has essentially been ripped out in Cazorla and Cockglass. So it will take time for the side to find a, a new way to play, mm. a new normal. You know, but they'll get there. Yeah. So, what what way do we approach this game then on Wednesday? Is it one of those where we try and okay, let's not do anything silly in the first half, even if it's nil nil at half time? Um, you know, that's okay. We know what we've got to do. We've got to score um, at least twice. We've got to win two nil or, or any other win other than two one. So um, yeah, I think I don't think you go gung ho, do you? I mean, I think Arsene Wenger said it himself after the last Champions League game. You just got to go and try to win the match because if you get to one nil, your chances of getting to two nil sort of exponentially increase because you know Olympiacos might be prone to panic. They'll feel they've got to come forward. You'll create space on the counter. So I think you've got to go and play a, a relatively patient game. I think you know falling behind when you need to win by mm. a substantial margin it would be a massive blow. Are, are we capable of that though? You know, is that, <laughs> is that the way question. that we could? Gen- genuinely approach it because Arsene Wenger might look at it as a way and say, "Well, look, if we score a couple of go- a couple of goals early on, that gives us the momentum, and then, like you say, they're going to have to come out and play, and then that leaves us space uh, to try and get in behind them." So it's it's going to be a relatively tricky one, isn't it? It'll be interesting to see what the approach is. How would you expect the the team to differ, if at all? From the one that we saw against Sunderland, I do wonder if Walcott might be involved in some way. Um, I don't know if that would be from the start. I don't know. Could he play Walcott on the right? I mean, he seemed very unwilling to do that. But Giroud is scoring goals. Mm -hmm. You know, he's scoring pretty regularly. Um, Walcott could give us something extra from the right-hand side. I do wonder if that's... Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. What would you uh, do? I mean, I, I'd, I'd find it... There's ups and downs, obviously, of Walcott playing from the start because, you know, if you are chasing a goal then later in the game, you don't really have anything on the bench to bring on. That's it. That's it. Then you're sort of looking at Alex Awobi or Bust, aren't you? Or, mm. or the Jeff, of course. I think the Jeff is injured. Oh. I saw uh, George Bird uh, was writing on his uh, Arsenal youth blog about how the Jeff picked up an injury on Friday night playing for the under-21s. So... Ah, there we go. Mm. Well, there we go. We've got no chance. Yeah. But, um, no, and, I, and I of th- course, we're wearing the black kit. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, do we? Uh, it seems <laughs> that we're not, we're throwing the game effectively. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, is there any, we've got to go and try and do it, right? Because, I mean, obviously, right. like, we'll probably get onto this in the questions, but there's no, there's no sense that, like, you know, oh, this is more trouble than it's worth, sort of thing. Let's just. No, no you, you've got to have a go at it. It's just at what point do you really have a go, if you know what I mean? Like, yeah. do you wait those 45 minutes and then say, right, let's let's blitz them for the second half? Or do you, tr- do you try and come out really quickly in the game and get on top of it and grab a hold of it? Both, um, both of those options uh, have their own risks, I guess. So how, how do you see Arsene Wenger setting this team up? I think it'll be very similar. I think, as you sort of alluded to there, I think you might have to keep Walcott back just so you've got something that enables you to change the game, change the dynamic. Mm. Uh, and I, you know, he's only just back from injury. I'm not sure I can see him starting. So I think it'll probably be the same team. I can't see... Yeah, I think I think that'll be it, to be honest. I think it'll be the same 11 against Sunderland. Mm. Whether or not they... I mean, maybe they will just come out of the blocks. You know, maybe that's, in some ways, without Cochlear maybe we have to be a little bit more cavalier and, and take the game to people. Mm. 
Yeah, well, we we'll see. see. Indeed. All right. Well, look, we're going to call uh, an end to part one right there. We're going to be back with part two and your questions right after this. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog. Goodly morning to you. <laughs> Goodly morning, indeed. Do you want to go first or will I? Uh, why don't you? Why don't I? Okay. Well, this one, right, comes from AFC Dev, who's at Gunner Dev. And he okay. says, do you honestly believe Wenger will buy anyone in January? Like, honestly, for fuck's sake? <laughs> <laughs> He wants us to be honest about this, doesn't I he? I think so. I think so. That's my impression. 100% honesty is required in your answer. Um, do I think he'll buy anybody? Well, where would a loan sit in answer to that question? Well, one thing is different from the other. Uh, a loan is not buying. So no, he said quite I've specifically buy. Okay, it's it's landed me a lot of trouble. Yeah, you go into the shop. Can I can I uh, can I can I borrow that Snickers there? Yeah, I'll bring it back to you. Not in the I form in which back. I've taken it. <laughs> yes, albeit in a very different form, in a little Tupperware. But I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. So, do I think you'll buy anyone? I'm going to go with no. Ooh. That's it. Thousands of people just unsubscribed from the podcast and threw their season tickets in a, on the fire. Um, I think that he will loan someone slash thing. Mm. That would be my answer. What about you? I think he will buy somebody. I think he probably will buy somebody. And okay. I wouldn't also rule out a loan. I think he has to. There's no question of... Of us going through the rest of the season without Coquelin, without Cazorla, with a Jack Wilshire that we know is injury prone. Mikel Arteta is injury prone. Aaron Ramsey himself is slightly injury prone. Matthew Flamini is Matthew Flamini. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he should be looking for somebody to come in. Uh, I realize it's difficult to find players in January. It's more difficult to find players in January. I still don't think it's impossible to find a a good player out there who could come in and really add something to this squad. My suspicion is that if he does buy somebody, it will be somebody relatively young with potential. So this Porto chap could fit the bill potentially. Yeah, Ruben Neves. Indeed. Yeah. Or there's talk of that uh, PSG guy, isn't there? Rabio or Rabiot? Adrian Rabio. Yeah. Well, he's he's been linked for a couple of years now. The reason I actually said loan is because I I think if that was to happen, that one would be a loan deal from from Paris at least until the summer, mm. and then the situation would be reassessed. And I think that one's got a massive chance of of happening. Yeah. But it just you know it just seems very arson, doesn't it? You know, young French midfielder, elegant on the ball. Um, it fits the bill, really. I mean, Dan Brook, at Dan underscore Brook, asks, and it's a, a relevant question, so I'll throw it in now. Can we win the league without buying any more players? No. No. You, really? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, look, if Wilshire stayed fit, 
and really grew into a central midfield role or created a good partnership with Ramsey. You know, there's lots of ta- uh, um, possibilities of things happening that maybe we don't expect, you know, like Mahrez scoring lots of goals or Coquelin and all that kind of stuff. Um but I, I don't think it's realistically possible for us to win the league without adding some quality into that central midfield area. Mm. You know, I think if we could find somebody who could work alongside Ramsey really well, then we could have a very, very good central midfield. Um, but, you know, I, I just don't see that it's possible for us to win the league by playing the same players week in, week out. Ultimately, that's going to fatigue them. You know, there are issues, even if they do stay fit, that if you're having to play the play, the same players over and over again, they get tired. You know? As we've seen, and then they get injured. Mm. <laughs> um, and is that the only area, central midfield, do you think? Is that the one? It's the only area I can really see him buying somebody in. Yeah. Um, because he'll look at Welbeck coming back, won't he, as another forward option. Um Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully he returns yeah. in January. You know, Walcott's there, Giroud is there, Joel Campbell is actually scoring goals. I mean, look, if you could go and find a if you could go and find a world class striker, of course, that would be that would be lovely. But again, we come back to who who exactly is that player um that we could go and get who could realistically come in. I mean, is there is there anybody um available in January that wasn't available in in, uh, in the summer and we couldn't get anybody then. Perhaps not. I mean, the one thing about the holding midfield position is you'd have to think that there is some sort of long-term planning in place there because Mikel Arteta's contract expires at the end of the season, Matthew Flamini's too. Mm. So you'd imagine there would be targets lined up, you know, for, for that eventuality. And it may just be a case of trying to accelerate that deal and move it forward as Arsenal did when they signed Nacho Monreal in January a few years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, and we have bought good players in the January window in recent years. Monreal has won last year. Gabriel Palista looks so far to be a, a terrific find. So sometimes you have to think outside the box a little bit, but I'd like to think we could get some business done. Don't get me wrong. I would love to see us uh, sign a midfield player. I think we, we really need to. I would agree that with without doing that, it's difficult to see us sustaining this title challenge. But... I just wonder if it might be a, a temporary deal, a loan deal, rather than a, a permanent buy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see. But look, you, you, you've got to think that um, any failure to do business in January will be would make uh, any failure to win points completely intolerable because it's so obvious that we need to bring in at least one good player, at least. And Arsene seems unusually open about that too. Mm. He seems very, you know... He's talking about that freely, that he would like to do something. But yeah. but then I guess we have heard that before. <laughs> mm. Well, here's uh, Captain Cazorla, at Captain Cazorla, who uh, wants to know, should we take back Fabregas? Wow. What a question, eh? What a question. Because, mm. well, I'll, I'll make no bones about it. There was a time where when he was available and on the market leaving Barcelona, I was absolutely certain that Arsenal should take back Fabregas. Um, anyone seeing those recent little compilation clips of his form for Chelsea of late will have second thoughts because he is a shadow of himself, isn't he? Mm, he really is. But then lie down with dogs and all that, you know. Yeah, yeah. There was a brilliant tweet at the at the weekend. Did you see this? I, I retweeted it on my timeline. It was by a guy called At Network, who I think works for... Who does he, what does he do? I don't know, but that was his name anyway. And he... Uh, he said, um, the tweet reads, Fabregas buys a fish and chips and walks down to the river. 
he takes a burner phone out of the chips bag and dials and then just says, Cesc Fabregas, he knows. And then Arsene Wenger, <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> uh, that. that would be nice, but I yeah, don't think yeah. that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would be great if that was the reveal all along. Uh, sure um, would. Agent Sask. I don't know. I mean, the thing is, as Paul as he's playing at Chelsea, I can't help but feel that putting back an environment, you know, with this team, with players who he knows, some of them, he certainly knows the manager. I think you'd still have a very decent player there. Uh, yeah, um, but I mean, is he the kind of player that we need? You I know think what probably I mean? not. No. no. When you've got Mesut Ozil doing that, that creative work, um, I, I don't know that. Uh, I don't know that there's room. I don't think Chelsea are uh, going to look to offload him either. I mean, I think if no. they want their form to recover, he'll be an important part of that. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, at the time when Fabregas was leaving Barcelona, Ozil wasn't performing at anything like the level he is now. I think given that, and given the fact that we're expecting Wilshire back, that Ramsey's now playing centrally too, we probably are too well stocked in, in that area. So mm. we'll have to pass, I, I expect. All right. Who could have ever seen that coming? So. Yeah. Let's have another question. Um, ba, 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 ba. My Twitter's being slow. That's why this these delays happening. Okay, I thought this was interesting. This is from at Prabhu Trooper. And in the week that Gary Neville uh, leaves his position at Sky to take up a job at Valencia, he asks, do you think it's best if Thierry Henry quits punditry and focuses on coaching before it's more of a fame damage? And I assume by that he means it before it does more damage to his reputation. Um, I, I don't know, to be honest. I think probably these days there's an acceptance that you can span various things Disciplines. in your career. Yeah, disciplines, mm. that's the word I was looking for, where you don't have to be just a football manager. You can be a coach and you can be a pundit and you can be a presenter and you can be all kinds of things. Um, I wouldn't say he's like brilliant at the punditry thing, Mm. by any stretch but he's obviously really interested in doing his badges he's doing them at Arsenal he's he's coaching under 16s and under 18s under 19s uh, and he's doing his time there whether he turns out to be a good manager or not is is another thing I think that there are difficulties aren't there I think even Gary Neville as good as he's been as a pundit I think there are difficulties sometimes when okay you're you're one of the England coaches and you're having to talk about England players. Yeah. I think that presents certain difficulties um that the other players or other pundits don't have because they're not in that environment. So I think there's the difficulty is is the crossover that if for example um Henri uh, is coaching the Arsenal under 21s, for example, and there's a young player comes through and he has to to, to be uh, objective about him. It becomes more difficult to do that. You know, I think those allegiances are, are difficult to uh, they're difficult to to deal with. But I think at some point you have to decide what it is you want to be in the long term. Do you want to be a pundit for the rest of your life, or do you want to be a coach, or do you want to be a manager? And I think if you're a manager, the occasional appearance here and there on something like Goals on Sunday, I think that's fine. But I don't know that it works very well. Uh, it, it can't work, can it? You know, to be a pundit and a, and a manager, unless you're doing international games, uh, and that's a different that's a different uh, kettle of fish altogether. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it wasn't as well. We don't necessarily know that there's any correlation between being a good pundit and being a good manager. You know, it's as excellent as Gary Neville has been on Sky. It remains to be seen mm. 
how that translates to the dugout. What, what did you make of that move? I thought that was a very interesting move uh, for him to, to go to Valencia. I mean, it's a huge club. Valencia is a massive club in Spain, mm. and he's going in without any without any real managerial experience. Of course, he's been a coach and he's done all his badges and everything else, but I thought it was, I think it's quite a brave move to a certain extent because it could, if it doesn't work out, really damage his reputation from a managerial level very early on in his career. Like, I think you can get away with not doing so well at smaller clubs because people will accept that you're learning your trade. But if you go straight in at one of the big clubs in Europe, and they are, then there's a lot expected of you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a brave appointment as well, you know, given his lack of experience. But there's a big connection there. Peter Lim, who's the owner of Valencia, mm. uh, you know, co-owns Salford with, with Gary Neville and, and the rest of the class of 92. And I think they run certain other businesses together too. So that's obviously played a part in him getting the role. But I think it's a very bold move on his part. I, I sort of admire it really, because as he said, he couldn't really turn it down and be credible. You know, if you sit there on the sidelines and say, oh, I do want to be a football manager, and then Valencia come to you and say, do you want the job? And you go, nah, mm. I'm all right. You know, what is that really? What does that really say? So I think it'll be interesting to see how he gets on, but it's certainly a big test, especially going abroad for your first job without the language. Yeah. You know, that's that's a, a real barrier to, to overcome. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it, it's not impossible, though, because you look at somebody like Bobby Robson, who who did it at Barcelona and was very True. successful at Barcelona and, and did it, um, you know, we know who his evil translator was. Um, uh, Jose Mourinho, if, if people uh, weren't aware of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it is, it is possible, but that does, again, present a, um, another challenge, doesn't it? Having to learn a language. In fairness, I think he said the right things, that he's going to move his family over. It's not going to be one of those things where, you know, he's there... Um, and he flies back and forth to England all the time. He's going to move his family and his kids and everything else over. So, yeah, interesting, interesting. And, yeah. I, you know, it's also in this week, we saw another manager who was a, a good ex-player, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, um, was appointed at QPR, having taken a completely different approach. You know, he went down to Burton Albion, mm. right at the bottom of the Football League pyramid, got them promoted, took them to the top of uh, League One this season and now he's up in the Championship so it's just interesting and he was also a pundit as well prior, prior to that so mm. it's interesting to see the sort of different ways that players go about it and obviously we, we talk about Omri as a coach it'll be fascinating to see whether he looks to go in at that high level or whether he wants to sort of uh, you know work his way up from mm. the bottom I have to say the little I know of Omri I, I can't necessarily see him at somewhere like Burton Albion so uh, I, like I do he, wonder if he might uh, have the same uh, problems as, as Tony Adams, for example. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So mm. I think he'll end up coming in probably in a, a coaching position, not a managerial position, at a, a bigger club, and then working his way up internally. Right, right. I wonder where it might suit him. I, I can't mm. think. I can't mm. possibly think. Uh, there was a uh, Gary Monk. There could be a job at Swansea. It looks like Gary Monk could be uh, on his way out. Yeah, that's um, that's a strange one, isn't it? He mm. was going so well there. But, uh, Another one of those guys who was touted as a possible Arsene Wenger replacement. Mm. Was he really? Yeah. People talked oh. about him. Top, uh, you know, good, good, talented young English manager. He could, could be the guy. drowning his sorrows with Brendan Rodgers. And Owen Coyle. Owen Coyle, God. Yeah, dark times. Mm. Is it my turn? I've no idea, to be honest. Okay, well, here's one anyway. From, okay. from, uh, from John who's at Ormi88. Imagine if he was just at John. Yeah. I think he would have had to be one of the very first people on Twitter to, to get that, though. 
Because he's John without an H. None of those uh, superfluous H's. I like it. Okay. Okay. But he wants to know, should we consider resting Bellerin and giving Debushi another chance at the right-back spot? It's an interesting one, isn't it? I think Bellerin hasn't quite looked himself since he came back from injury. We talked about, you know, Patrick van Aanholt getting away from him in the Sunderland game. Mm. And I think Johnny Housen did a couple of times against Norwich too. But... I do have, you know, quite traumatic memories of the last few times we've seen Debushi play. Mm. I haven't forgotten quite how bad he was. Um, and it, I kind of feel like by the time he got up to speed, you might want Bellerin back in, you know? Mm. It's a really tricky one, that, though. Really tricky. It is, because you, was... you want the competition, don't you? You want Bellerin perhaps to feel like he's got to perform consistently to keep his place in the team. Mm. But at the same time, yeah, have your reservations about Debussy also. That's it, because you're dropping Debussy in without any kind of rhythm. You mm. know, you're just asking him to immediately step up to the plate and evidence this season suggests that's not really something he's capable of. He just hasn't got the match practice that you probably need to, to function well in a bat for. Yeah. Um, so I'd stick with Bellerin on balance, but I mean, look, he's a young player. There will be dips. You know, his progress over the past 12 months has been phenomenal, but it was inevitable that at some point he would slightly plateau or go backwards a tiny bit. Mm. And it's how he responds to these challenges that will determine how good he becomes. And what we learned last season, you think of that performance he had at Dortmund and the way he bounced back from that is that he has got the resilience and the attitude required to do it. Um, let's just hope he's fresh enough to give it the focus it needs. Yeah, yeah, I tend to agree with that. I mean, I give him another few games and if there were still some problems, then I think you've got to maybe take him out of the firing line a bit because he is a young player. And like you say, these plateaus in, in development, they happen really, really frequently. I think it's just something that's part of the learning process for most young players. You know, they have this freedom. They, you know, when they come into a side, there's no expectation on them. And then when stuff like the uh, the chance at the end of the... The, uh, the game against Sunderland uh, at the weekend happens, you know, you, maybe you start to doubt yourself a little bit and start to worry about where you are on the pitch where, uh, and things like that might have come naturally beforehand, if you know what I mean. Of course, yeah, of course. Mm. Um, but I'd stick with him for now, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly against Olympiacos. Um, I've got another question, and it's from Jan London, or Jan probably, now I think about it. And he's at Gunazag on Twitter. Okay, And he says, with Santi out for who knows how long, three to four months it's looking like now, who should be our penalty kick taker until he's back? And I assume that's with Mikel Arteta also out for the time being. When he's on the pitch, Yuru. Yeah? Yeah. He's taken good penalties for us in the past, yeah, uh, if true. I remember correctly. I'm just trying to think who else you would look at as as reliable. I don't, I don't know anyone else really in the in the side because um Mesut Ozil's had a few penalties for us that haven't gone particularly well um I'm not sure Matt he's the Ramsey. most maybe I don't think I've ever seen him take a penalty though has he Me neither taken... but I, I I can't imagine I think he'd be all right though sure I mean composure is not one of his <laughs> necessarily one of his strengths but he mm. can strike a ball yeah for sure um I, I think I go with Giroud first if he was on the pitch then he would be the guy after that Maybe someone like Ramsey or you, or what Walcott. if Alexis was fit? Would you consider him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's taken penalties. He's taken a couple, hasn't he? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I'm pretty sure he's taken he's taken at least one in his okay. first season. He's he scored at least one penalty, as far as I can remember. So yeah, I think you've got to look to your forwards first, 
And then if you want to go back to midfield or if you've got a if you've got a, a right back penalty taker like Lee Dixon used to be, then great. But I'm not sure who that is in the squad. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't fancy a penalty shootout with the 11 that finished the game against Sunderland. No, you would not. <laughs> Let's hope they don't introduce that in the Premier League anytime soon because mm. we'll be in big trouble. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I, th- I think I think once Alexis is back, he might assume that responsibility. You can imagine he'll want it, mm. that's for sure. Okay, here's one from Steve Moore, 4116, who says, Campbell's dummy celebration mm. is terrible. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I mean, just think about how sweaty that thing was that he put in his mouth. It's not... Yeah, oof, as an expression. Because I guess he would have had to tie it onto the, the string of his shorts, right? I mean, tie for me, shorts. the major issue with the celebration is how fussy it is. Like, by the time he's got it out, the dummy, this is, by the time he's <laughs> untangled it from his shorts, mm. the camera's cut away. You know, it's like it's yeah. so protracted. Um, I mean, it's you know, I think he's recently had another child or a couple of weeks ago, something like that. And uh, he obviously is. Well, is, is he having one every couple of weeks? Because he, you know, Maybe. he did it at Swansea. And look, we get it, mate. You know, you've you've got a kid, and you want to celebrate your child. That's that's brilliant. But you know, come on. He's very prolific, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he must be having. In terms of knocking out the kids. Maybe he's got um, like eight wives. And there's a baby every couple of weeks. I mean, I hope he's sterilising that dummy afterwards. Let's be honest. He want to be sterilising himself if he's having children every few weeks. Fair point. Mm. Fair point. Is this a question, by the way? Or is yeah, this just is it, he just wanted to know, is this the worst celebration ever? The worst uh, Arsenal celebration ever? Worst Arsenal celebration. I mean, you didn't love Abue and Adebayor dancing together, did you? No, I didn't love that. I didn't love Abue or Adebayor and Henri dancing together. That was the worst dance, that wasn't was it? That was terrible. Because you know what it was? It was just Adebayor trying to suck up to Thierry Henry. That if Thierry right. Henry had done like, I'm going to stick my hand in a blender, uh, you know, miming that for a signing, Adebayor would have run off and got an actual blender and blended his hand just to try and be cool. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, he probably would have done. He probably would have done. Um, so that was pretty bad. I'm just trying to think if there are any more. Mm. I think one of my favourite Arsenal celebrations has got to be Andrea Chavin against Barcelona, lifting his shirt over his head to reveal a picture of his face. Yes, that was pretty awesome, in fairness. <laughs> as frustrating as he was, that was that was ridiculously good. That was pretty great, wasn't mm. it? Um, any others stand out, either good or bad? I don't know. I tend to forget. I think goal celebrations in general are, are are just ridiculous. They should be outlawed. I've said this before on this podcast that, you know, I don't understand uh, players going mental and, you know, leaping around when they score in the first 10 minutes of the game, you know, like they've scored the winner in the, in the cup final, you know, just yeah. a manly handshake and make your way briskly <laughs> back into your own half. And then yeah. if in the final 10 minutes you score a goal that could win a game, by all means, strip off and moon or do whatever you like, run around the pitch like crazy. But, you know, until then, there's no call for any of it. And I, I, would, I would outlaw how... it if I was the manager. No celebrating I... goals until, unless they're absolutely surefire winners in important games. Like a winner against Wigan. I imagine, fuck that's, that. how... <laughs> I imagine that's how Sunderland's Duncan Watmore would celebrate a goal with a, a gentle handshake and a, a neat trot back to his own half. He really reminded me of like something from one of the Arsenal gent columns. He was like a player <laughs> from 100 years ago. Yeah, what, just because of his name? 
his name, but also his manner. Like he sort of ran in that sort of slightly strange Stanley Matthews sort of jinky way, you know, where it's like the pitch is kind of giving way underneath him all the time. He's perennially out of breath. He's, he had polio as a child, you see. That's yeah, it was. was a bit like that. He looked undernourished, <laughs> very pale skin. He had rickets. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he's a good player and an, in- mm. an interesting player. He's a guy who went to university, he's left with a first class degree and he's a Premier League footballer. Mm. Um which you know, he's, not, he's not too many now. of those. No, that's why he's making the breakthrough a little bit later. But he's a, a big prospect. But I do think he looks like he's just come out of a time machine onto mm. the pitch. Um, but yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. I think anything that's choreographed is a little bit unpleasant. Like, really. remember that t- the, there were viral videos of that. Were they a team from Iceland or Sweden? Where yeah. every time they would score, they'd like go around. And then one of them would pretend to be a fish, and he'd reel it in, and he'd flip yeah, flop yeah. across the ground. Or you know, they'd make a throne, and the guy should sit on the throne. Basically, every single one of those players should be kneecapped for those well, celebrations. <laughs> I mean, if you're spending that much time on that, I'm worried that you're not drilling set pieces. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. They probably conceded like 50 goals a game from corners, but we only saw their goals and their celebrations. This is it. I mean, you know. Maybe that that period where Arsenal were quite bad at defending set pieces, they were just really working really hard on, I don't know, a goal celebration for Francis Cochlear. Mm. But we just never saw it. <laughs> and we never will. He'll and never, never score. He'll, He'll never, never play again. <laughs> Have you got one more or...? Um, I think I'm, I think I'm out. I think I'm, right. I think I'm all good. Okay, well, here's, here's one final one then. This comes from Go Dippers. On. At mm-hmm. Dippers07. And he says, if you were given the choice between one million or Arsenal winning the title, what would you choose? Now, he doesn't say a million what? Uh, I'm guessing he means pounds or dollars. So hang on, what is my choice? A million pounds? Well, uh, no, a million. Okay. Just a million. So a choice between the the number, a million. Or a million of something or Arsenal winning the title. Let's say it's monetary first and foremost. Okay, let's say it's pounds. Mm-hmm. I mean... Why are you even thinking about this? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, give me a million pounds. We can win the title next year, maybe or not. I was just thinking... Fuck, I've got a million pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah, fine. I'll take a million pounds. I just suddenly, uh, I just thought if we don't win the title, I'm just going to get a lot of tweets off people being like, "Who gives a shit? You're in a hammock somewhere." (laughs) They'll be like, "Give us our million pounds, you bastard!" Um, Right, I'll have the million pounds. Sorry, everyone. Let's hope Leicester win the league. (laughs) Uh, You know, my my uh, my unhappiness at Arsenal not winning the title would be offset by the fact that I'd be on a beach in a hammock drinking rum cocktails in the sunshine. You know. I mean, yeah, I think that would balance things out. Mm. I mean, it's got to be a million pounds. Sorry, guys. Or, you I mean, know, you could invest that million pounds in something, in a high-yield fund, and all of a sudden you've got, like, 200 billion pounds, and then you could buy Arsenal and then buy all the players that would make Arsenal win the title. You know, there's the long-term thing. That would be nice. Yeah, that's when you get back from the hammock and the rum cocktails and stuff. Sure, 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 sure. Mm. Don't make sure you don't spend the whole million pounds on that. Yeah. What about a million ants? Or Arsenal winning the title? Arsenal winning the title. A million cat-sized ants. Arsenal winning the title. If a million ants is bad, making them the size of cats isn't going to make it better. Unless I can open some sort of attraction where people can come and see these giant ants. Yeah. Well, I was just just asking, you know. I'm with you. Can I have a million pounds, please? Yeah. Someone someone give us a million pounds and then 
we might win the title again. Listen, yeah, exactly. Before the injuries, I would have been on the fence, but mm. we're not going to win it now. Anyway, can I just have a million pounds, please? Mm. It would make our lives a lot better. And then we'd be able to do more podcasts. Imagine, if we get if someone gives us a million pounds, we'll do a podcast every day next week. For the whole week. For the whole week. Yeah. And won't that be a Merry Christmas? What a commitment that is to people's audio entertainment, to their aural pleasure, if you like. There's a billionaire somewhere out there listening, stroking his beard and thinking, hmm, that would be good. Yeah. Actually, you know... all the commutes that would solve. I would do a podcast every day if someone gave me a million pounds. I would would guarantee indefinitely? Well, not for a year. For a year. I think that would be a reasonable commitment to a million pound investment in us. In us. Sure. Yeah? Sure. Do I have to do the podcasts? Well, are you getting a million pounds? Well, that's my question. Well, if we both got a million pounds, then definitely we both have to do the podcast. Fine. Well, let's both have a million pounds then. All right. Let's not argue about this. Great. Well, I'm glad we all agree. (laughs) You guys get the million pounds together and then the podcasts will happen. Yeah, I don't know how anybody could resist contributing to kickstarter.com slash <laughs> ask cast every day yeah go fund us or whatever it's called yeah that'd exactly. be great yeah let's give us that your up. fucking money all right well look we're gonna leave it there um who have we got at the weekend we've got i don't know what accent that was um goodly morning to you yeah goodly morning aston villa the remy guard reunion is that home or away it's away. Away. Okay. So the Remy Guard reunion and, of course, Olympiacos. So we're going to have a, a lot to discuss on the Arscast on Friday and much to discuss on next week's Arscast Extra, the first of 365 consecutive Arscast Extras because we'll have a million pounds each. Absolutely. The Europa League introductory special. <laughs> we'll talk to you then. Until then, have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>